The AWS for Software Companies podcast, episode 21, how strong security can be your strategic advantage with Mark Shasha of Braze, Ulrich Dangle of Rapid7, Stefan Voss of Enable, and Clayton Smith of AWS. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS for Software Companies podcast, where we speak to software leaders around the world about their journeys to the cloud, overcoming obstacles, and the role that Amazon Web Services play in their success. Today, we have a panel of software industry leaders from Braze, Enable, and Rapid7 discussing how they use security as a strategic advantage for their organizations. Welcome to the AWS for Software Company Security Forum. My name is Clayton Smith. I work in a group called the Worldwide Specialist Organization. So let's start with a quick introduction to the topic that's at hand. So I don't usually open presentations like this, but it, it kind of takes me back to some school days. I wanted to open with a thesis. These gentlemen know that I was going to do this. So, so the thesis is security is good for business. When you have good security and a good culture of security, development accelerates, customers loosen their budgets, communication improves, good security is just good business. Conversely, bad security can have far-reaching negative consequences and slow release cycles while eroding customer trust and revenue. So let's start. Mark, do you mind if I call on you to start with? Sure. We'll just go in order here. Is security a differentiator for your organization, and do you believe good security leads to better sales? Um, yeah, so I guess the core of that is, for my organization specifically, part of the product that we sell needs to be secure. We need to ingest an amount of our customer data to be able to engage with their customers better. Um, so when we get into a situation like that, one, we're selling software that is not security software, so we're generally speaking not dealing with the security team initially. Indeed. And uh, second, when we do get to that stage, we want that to go as smoothly as possible in the sales cycle. We don't want there to be hangups. So I would say that yes, um, that is the case for our type of product. We're not selling you know, uh, you know, soda bottles, but uh, for us specifically, for a modern application SaaS company, uh, this is not just a nice to have, but it's imperative, um, not just for the sanctity of our customers' data, but for acquiring those customers in the first place. So security is not an option? No, no. Okay. Okay. Um, Stefan, let me ask you, do you believe that the opposite of that, does poor security, does it hurt your sales? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> obviously. So I think there's, there's um, in my world, it's kind of unique. I work on probably the most boring product you can imagine, backup. I mean, who cares? But the reality is actually not backup, right? So with our friend Yanni Farrell, we early on thought about, what are we actually using it for? And it's really mostly what our MSPs are worried about is, how do I recover from a destructive cyber attack, right? That's the number one concern. So whether you use a backup or some other copy, that, that's the, but then they're under attack, right? So actually it becomes an every sales conversation, conversation. Conversely, if you have poor security, it gets exposed right away, whether it's through the cyber insurance questionnaire, Absolutely. whether it is through an RFP, or whether it's because you're just fumbling because you haven't really thought about it and invested the time to just think about security a little bit more broadly, right? Are you finding in your role that customers are seeking out that information before they 100%. become engaged with your company? 100%. So we see RFPs, for example, come in, or RFIs, right? They ask pointed questions, right, which shows they're, they're educating themselves. And they understand that the threat vector has evolved to just, rather than just ransoming the, the server, they're actually going after the backup infrastructure because if they can do that, well, guess what? It's going to be hard for you to 
get back on back on track. Have you seen your customers become more educated and, I guess, able to ask the right questions? Are you finding that the consumer themselves of your product is becoming more educated on security issues? Yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> I go back to the, the cyber recovery days when I worked in the previous company. And, you know, honestly, the first EMC world, the first event we did, we basically asked, well, do you, what do you think about this concept of having an isolated copy? And they, why would I need that? You know, in the second year, they actually asked pointed question on how do I implement it? How do I operate it? RSA conference, another good idea. Well, why do I care about backup? That's somebody else's job. And then incident response and data recovery became more of a thing. It was not just left of breach, right? It was actually more end-to-end. So I would say the, the questions are definitely what I'm seeing more pointed, which tells me that they're, they're much more sophisticated, right? More nuanced, if you will. Ulrich, I'm going to give you some ammunition to fight against my thesis, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see what you think of it. You know, one thing that I've been told is that it's not a differentiator, it's an imperative. It's, it's non-optional, as you were saying, so it's not a differentiator anymore. How do you feel that security is really looked at in your organization and for your customers in that regard? So, uh, first of all, I think uh, we receive a lot of very sensitive data where our products basically know where misconfiguration is in your, your system or like when things are going on. So I think like it's really almost just a table stakes uh, conversation where you like if you basically don't adhere to like specific things, you don't even have a chance in like competing for the business. And if you think what's happening in the federal market with things like S bombs and like more and more visibility and transparency around the whole supply chain, right? It basically gets harder and harder to hide your dirty underwear, uh, which is a really uh, good thing. And I think like. Uh, what that means is if you basically don't have these like built in from the beginning or like doing after the fact, it just gets very hard to basically retrofit uh, these pieces. And I think like right, you may not be necessarily able to like go out to the market and say we are the most secure one or one because everybody claims that. But as soon as you then go to the uh, sales process or like revisit uh, like the regular uh, vendor assessment or all these other things, I think like this is where like the speed to go through this is, I think, so much faster and so much more efficient for your whole like uh, sales team, etc., and for your also infosec team to get that done faster. Which I think really is a really important piece internally, just how you can sell and how you go after uh, customers and handle basic prospects. Sure. So I do like to sometimes talk a little bit about how at AWS we like to kind of look at things a little bit because I think that you know we're also a great case study in some of these things. You know, very fast moving company that really had to put security first. So um, we really have worked hard to build a culture of security. In fact, that's a presentation that I do to to CISOs really across the country. Um, by doing so, I think it actually it enhances our business and our value to the customer. So that's that culture of security. So I'd imagine you guys feel the same about your business and the culture that you're building. So what have you done to build a culture in your organization that has been helpful? And I'm going to open in that to all of you instead of calling individually. Um, yeah, I think I have some interesting answers here. Maybe outside of, you know, developing those relationships is definitely important, but sometimes that solution can't scale particularly well, especially if you're coming into an organization that just didn't have that uh, at all. Um, you come into an org, maybe so the security function was mostly through uh, third parties, and maybe there was some first party, and it was a shared uh, shared responsibility, and now they're in-housing it. You don't have those relationships built. I think that something that's really helped my organization is hiring, outside of yeah, building 
having a champions program and doing all of that sometimes feels like mandatory fun. Um, and although you can mandate people to be excited about security, uh, I think a really good way of doing it is ensuring you hire um, on your security teams people who are like excitable about security. People are still super into it. We have no problem on our in our defensive organization bringing people in. I came from the offensive side. I bring a lot of people in from the offensive side who are still super chuffed about every medium that they find. They're just so excited. And that excitement, I feel like, rubs off on, you know, in delivery. When you're having those conversations with developers, hey, can you get this on your sprint? Here's the vuln. Not just submitting a Jira ticket, but getting on and being like, hey, look at this cool thing I found. It's so sick. And then the developer being like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Getting them excited about it, and then they develop their own maybe, like, relationship there. And, uh, yeah, you can't just go and put that on a job description and be like, must be excited about security. Everybody's going to do that. Uh, but what you can do is if you're not in mega hyper growth mode, you can slow down and take your time and maybe be okay with somebody who hasn't been jaded by being on a blue team, coming from offensive consulting, coming from overseas consulting maybe, that's still really, really excited about everything that they locate. Um, because at the end of the day, the types of relationships, the types of interactions you're going to be having with maybe your development teams are going to be bearing bad news to them, interrupting their sprint, doing something that's kind of expensive, which is code's already in production, and you're doing this like whole circle where you now have to uh, repair things it's, uh, costly, or you're coming to them with some proactive measure that they might not understand. There's a lot of theories and methods on how to, you know, again, the mandatory fun aspect, how to get people excited about security, but I think the best thing to do is have people on your own team that are already excited, and that will rub off. We've seen great success with that. Well, I imagine some in our audience have a, at least the question that's in my mind right now. How do, you, how do you figure out if people are excited? Is it just a conversation you have during the interview process? Do you have any, do you have any tips or tricks that you've used in order to find that out? Because I think... As I've met with so many professionals, especially in this executive level, you know, hiring is, is one of the tougher things that they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's been, mm. it's been that way, I feel like, my entire career, that it is Indeed. the most difficult. Somebody told me that it used to be easier, but uh, I wasn't around. Um, is that before people existed? Yeah, I think I'm before really not sure how that existed. happens. I think uh, a good way is, again, maybe be a little bit more okay with varied backgrounds. I know it might be sometimes a flag if you're hiring somebody for a staff-level application security engineer, and that person has been in penetration testing consulting for 10 years. Um, and you might discount that person, but that person's probably still excited about penetration testing if they've been doing it for that long straight, and they can bring that in to you. Also, yeah, you know, having your own blog and doing that kind of stuff, um, that's cool, but I feel like you can really tell, especially if you have one or two really excited people, they'll be able to suss that out for you okay. in the interview process and ensure that the person that you're bringing in is... Um, going to be able to have the fervor that will rub off on, on your developers and the people they interact with. You know, one of the better incident responders that I ever came across, her degree was actually in art, art history. So, you know, like you said, look for varied backgrounds. It's really that excitement. Mm -hmm. So, Stefan, what about culture? Um, often we break down in the seams, right? We're product, your product marketing, your sales, whatever. And then there's an incident, right? So our CISO was very good at sort of driving a culture of, of security, but it started off, maybe, I wouldn't want to say academic, but more, yeah, theoretical, whatever the right word is. 
Then we had, he was in town and we did a tabletop and I said, hey Dave, can I join the table talk? And it's like, what do you like, torture? Why do you want it? But I want it, and it was amazing, right? And so you immediately find these S-bombs or the oh shit moments, like, oops, I didn't even know, what, who would I call? And so I think um, also just putting yourself through that exercise, what if this happens, what if that happens? Thinking in the art of the possible a little bit from the attacker and how would we respond was eye-opening. That was more eye-opening really than, than any of the trainings and, and maybe some of the processes, which are all good and they all support the cause, but at the end of the day when something happens, right? And the, what I did, like in a much smaller, my little world um, in product, I mean, obviously prioritize uh, security and articulating that we're making it a priority to customers, right? Because they always want features and stuff like that, yeah. right? And security can be security-related features. But what I'm talking about is vulnerabilities. How do we, what's our approach? And maybe what are some of the things to secure or make the product secure by design? So that's great. You can prioritize, but now you need the right people. I didn't have a product manager uh, on security, right? And I don't know that I would recommend you got to have a product manager that's dedicated to security and catches everything. But to your point, just having someone, I look for a very good product manager who, who's excitable about the journey about security, and it's not the only thing she does. And she produced a roadmap within a month. And we were able to put this in front of customers, and they were super. And now it becomes exciting, actually, because you're engaging with customers. They they feel like we're listening, and now all of a sudden, you know what might be boring to your point uh, becomes one. It's a focused activity. We have some wood behind the arrow because we have someone worried about it. We're delivering some stuff, and customers are seeing that and they're getting excited. They like the fact that we made it a priority, right? So, yeah. so it sounds like. Culture really kind of starts with even the hiring process, making yeah. sure that you have the right people in the seat. So some lessons that we learned at AWS about culture of security that I think are worthy of sharing is um, we do some things. Uh, we really try to encourage people to report security as quickly as possible. There's no penalty for reporting something that turns out not to be a security incident. We're very open about that. We would prefer someone uh, report something and have it investigated and turn out to be nothing. We, to many of your points, everyone's responsible for security. There's not a person in the organization that doesn't have some sort of say or responsibility to secure you know, our customers' data. Um, something that I think is really interesting is we, if a product has, or a service has to be pushed, there's no penalty in a performance review or anything if it's pushed because of security. So if we find something that's wrong with the service, we have no problem pushing that out, and there's not... Um, there's not going to be a performance review or an evaluation where they say, hey, you, you get dinged, you don't get your bonus, what have you for that. And then uh, one thing that we leverage quite a bit is a program called Security Guardians. We could probably spend an hour talking about Security Guardians, but if you don't have a program similar to that where you have people that, again, are passionate about security, but maybe they're not in security roles, they want to learn how to be more secure, do secure by design, you know, bring them in, make them part of the fold, teach them how to do that, and then enable them to go back to their teams and share that passion. So that is certainly something that we have done. Um, we talked about a little bit at the beginning about being involved in sales discussions with your customers. So two questions that. First of all, are you involved in the sales conversations with your end customers? And then really about the structure and the people in the department. I mean, we're getting into a lot of people conversations now, but I would imagine that if you're getting more into those types of conversations, the people that you're hiring have to be skilled at those types of conversations. So 
Stefan, you're, you're on the product management mm-hmm. side, so do you, these types of conversations with customers about security, does your department handle that, or do you push that over the security team? How do you handle it in your No, it depends. I mean, I talk to customers all the time, right? Okay. So this is an example that I just described where Yulia delivered the roadmap. That was, of course, a product management-led example. So what I wanted to establish is, A, we care. Here are the things we're doing across authentication, user roles, secure communications, blah, 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 right? And I just wanted to get that feedback. And, what, and then I dragged the architect, so I dragged engineering into that one, because I think it's helpful for them to hear context. They can ask their questions and the question behind the question. So that's where I would take the initiative. So we're not that formal. There are other instances when it's like an incident or whatever, it's more, there is a process behind it, right? Security would be involved. And then we decide who delivers the message, right? And then that's a more choreographed uh, sort of set, like an, as part of the incident. But we have processes for both. But where I would say we... We, we talk to customers about security all the time outside of the, the actual incident or, or something that's maybe more of a ticket. Um, and, 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 and again, like if I'm a product manager, chief product owner, and my job is to articulate the why and the what, you know, for me, it, it, it's a no-brainer to bring the engineer along so they can hear from the customer, sort of get a little bit of that perspective, um, you know, especially when it's big ticket items, right? Because they don't often have that opportunity and, mo- and mostly they love it, right? Yeah. Mark, you have a responsibility for security. So do you push it to the product guys? Do you let them have those conversations, or do you, do you take some of those on? Um, I would prefer to. Uh, we, we have a formal process for okay. this. Um, uh, and I'm not going to bore everybody with it, but uh, just, just no, I to... think they were all hoping for the full document. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would like to arm my sales and technical sales teams with the amount of information that they need to get by. I don't want to mandate that they understand everything that I provide them, but I want to provide some amount of digestible information that they can speak on, and then some amount of documentation that in itself is digestible by maybe somebody who's not in security. So here are the buzzword you need suck to or whatever, and this is HIPAA, whatever. Anyway, if it's in this sector, please provide them this packet. That's the base level, right? And for maybe small business, small, medium business, medium to large-ish, that's sometimes adequate, and we don't hear from them. Then, if it is a more discerning customer from a security perspective, or a larger customer with actual engineers that are reviewing our solution for implementation, because for transparency here, our implementation requires engineers. It's an SDK that needs to get installed into an application, so someone technical is going to look at it, right? Um, When we get to that level, we have an escalations process, and what we tend to see is regardless of what type of documentation we provide and regardless of what type of controls we provide evidence of, we get into calls very frequently where they want to see the evidence live. They want to see it right then and there on a screen share. And that's only our biggest, most spendy, most well-resourced customers almost 100% of the time are saying, yes, it's very nice that you have all these, but everybody else has these. We want to go see it manually. So being prepared to have your little mini SOC 2 control audit at a moment's notice because somebody's about to write a pretty obese check um, is very important for us. Right. Um, you know, get, ensuring that not only me but my team are able to articulate these types of controls in an environment where there's going to be somebody from their marketing team, somebody from their compliance team, and then a couple you know, real security engineers on the call. 
Well, you seem perfect to answer the second part of that question, then, which is, have you had to change the hiring profile of the people you're looking for to have those conversations? Um, I personally have not. Now, I don't believe that having those types of conversations is unlearnable. Um, and as you know, being a company that sells software, we have a pretty big sales team, and that sales team is great at guiding people's hands and onboarding a new salesperson who is my you know, like senior two engineer who's got to go sell our security solution to the customer. So leveraging those resources internally, if you have a sales team, they're probably good at what they're doing. If your company is in business, they probably have some amount of training that they can provide to your uh, people who are going to go in front of the customers, and then you rubber stamp that person and say, you can talk to all the customers you want. Um, and you end up in a situation where, one, it's not a single point of failure. Although we all have probably been on calls, everybody here who sells software, or they want a title or two titles or something like that on the call. And in that case, you have to get on. And being prepared to speak about technical minutiae, about your own systems, and not just deferring to your engineers is so incredibly important and not looking like, uh, not looking like an idiot in front of your customer. Yeah. Um, I, I buy software too. I buy software all the time. We review all software that comes into our organization, and I can see the missteps of people trying to sell us software, the software that we reject for, for security purposes, um, and we can take that and learn from it. And a lot of the times, that's you know, you get a title on the call, and the title has no, absolutely no answers for you. No technical answers, no answers about so the So make systems. sure you have the right people make on sure, call make sure, you lose trust. Yeah, and make sure you know the answers uh, as an individual, as a security leader. Make sure you're going to be able to answer them and not just sit and defer. It's not going to work out. Awesome. Rapid fire for the last question. We've got three minutes to wrap this all up. Let's bring this back to the cloud. Is it easier to define or share a security risk with your customers, with the public, as a result of operating in the cloud? Or does that just complicate matters? Is that just another layer of complexity that makes it difficult to communicate? I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is easier. Okay. Um, it's made by, uh, yeah, coming from on-prem and then moving to cloud hosting, it, the, the, I understand that there is a place for on-prem, but for our use case specifically, I find it much easier to be able to satisfy a lot of esoteric physical requirements especially um, that I don't have to sit and deal with um, because my cloud uh, hoster is is doing that for me. Um, And also when you're working with a cloud provider, generally speaking, like having access to a control plane that has security built into it is going to make your life considerably easier when it comes to like asset discovery and logging and uh, standardized deployment than you would in an on-prem. There are perfect on-prem deployments Right, but uh, um, a 200-person uh, outfit's not going to be able to achieve that, most sure. likely, um, especially if they're trying to scale. So yes, I say it's easier, um, and uh, and you don't generally want to go back to uh, working at an on-prem type uh, deployment. That'll yeah. go on I've your done, resume. I've I can done tell. My, uh, done my time in the trenches. Uh, I don't think it makes it easier sharing. I think it makes it easier getting the content or having uh, basically somebody else take care of it. Uh, because, like, I think, uh, like, right, you still have to figure out, like, how you communicate and do this. But I think, like, it changes uh, because you uh, remove some of the responsibilities about, like, right access to data centers or that you basically have a good, like, introspection API uh, to basically, like, instrument and query, like, what the configuration of your load balancers is, et cetera, et cetera, and basically can use this as evidence. But I think, like, it, right, if you basically then don't have their like automation to basically put that into like to get that into like for 
available for the audit or all these things, but nothing changed. Like you basically still have to go and get somebody to go through these things, but it enables you to get some be the, uh, some better automation. But I think like the sharing and collecting thing has not necessarily changed much. It's basically you have to build the additional pieces around to basically start sure. utilizing Great it. points. I just want to say, good. first of all, I, I hope everyone enjoyed this session really talking about how security can be a diver, business differentiator, how it could possibly be just an imperative. It's the, the price of entry to doing business in, in this market economy. So thank you to my wonderful panelists. Everyone give them a hand. And Thanks again for listening to the AWS for Software Companies podcast. For more conversations with global software leaders, subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please feel free to share these episodes on LinkedIn or other social media. Thanks again for listening.